0: Did everybody enjoy the Juan Soto photoshops in a Yankees uniform in the pinstripes? What a happy, happy, good time. This is just this is this has gone from one of the most exciting rumor periods I can ever remember. Like this is like think back to before the Raptor season when, all of a sudden, the report's on Damian Lillard. You're like, oh, my God, Damian Lillard. And the fan base was debating and discussing what it would look like and what it could be and the path of the organization and taking a direction and Dame and Tr- Dame time in Toronto. Would he wave to be here? It's nothing. It's gone. It's just this is this is the Kawhi sweepstakes and the Shohei sweepstakes. It's basically this, right? Tavares kind of, but I don't know. Stamkos, when he came to Toronto, there was, there was real buzz trying to sell him and trying to pitch him. But there's nothing like trying to convince Kawhi to stay in Toronto, the helicopter chases, and now what's going on with Shohei Otani where, yeah, once you, once you start tracking the flight logs, right, once we start getting the Twitter accounts that track the flight logs, then you know this is a real free agency. This is a real – this is really high stakes. I, the first time I remember that was LeBron when he left Miami. He was going back to Cleveland. People were like, where's LeBron? they like, oh, there was this private jet that left for Cleveland at this time, and it's trying to put the pieces together after Pat Riley's comments. That's the first time I remember, like, yeah, uh, jet Twitter. So, Juan Soto's a Yankee. Hooray, hurrah. Pain. Truly painful. You, just, you think about him at Yankee Stadium, and you think about him and Judge belly to belly, and it's an unpleasant thought. It's a really unpleasant thought, especially since the Yankees last season were dreadful. It really looked like, oh, crap, this team is aging. This team doesn't have a ton to look forward to. They've still got some, they've got some really bad contracts on the books. They, they, they missed in free agency the year before. This is just an unquantifiable hit for them. This is a reminder of how some teams still get to operate differently, right? In the NBA, Armin wearing his stupid Lakers hat today, they get that luxury too, right? Where the Lakers can make mistakes and know that if there's a free agent, they're, like they're a team that could be in on a LeBron James when his contract comes up. Miami Heat, same way. You can make a mistake and you can know that Jimmy Butler will want to come down to South Beach and play for your organization. And this is just the Yankees thing where they can trade for a Juan Soto because they know that when the negotiation comes up next offseason, all things go according to plan and they're going to have that money waiting for them. They, they're not going to hesitate to pay a one-soto. They look at those prospects and that package they gave up, and they say, yep, no sweat. We're the New York Yankees. We're back in business, and we're not losing year after year after year. So it's super there's, – there's a ton of dominoes, obviously, for the Blue Jays. One is – and we will have Bob Nightingale today, all right? He got, got the times mixed up yesterday. Got the times mixed up. He was in the one-hour time zone ahead. That's the trickiest one because when you text guys who – are in the Pacific time zone, who cares? But when they're in that weird central one-hour difference, one hour ahead, it, it, time gets lost. Time gets mistakes. But the thing I'm really curious to hear from him today is, did the Jays even have a trade package that could have made this thing work? Because when we all saw the initial report of what the Padres wanted from the Yankees for Juan Soto, and I think it was Hector Gomez who said, hey, the Jays are now the frontrunners. Which, yeah, I don't know. That one didn't seem to turn out to be such a hit. The implication was that price is way too high. The, the Yankees were never in. The Yankees were never in on Shohei. But this just puts way more pressure on their division rival all of a sudden. And if you're a Blue Jays fan, you got to be sweating this now. Because there is a realistic scenario that the New York Yankees just bolstered their offense with one of the best hitters in baseball. I saw a stat yesterday. I should have... Actually, I think I still have it. I think I got it written down here somewhere about Juan Soto. And, oh, this is it. Okay. This is an incredible stat. This is going to be the stat of the day unless, you know, Myrtle has something. Juan Soto has 640 career walks, most in MLB history before turning 25. All right? His 640 walks are second most before turning 26 behind Mickey Mantle's 668. So he's 29 away from setting that record, and he hasn't played a game as a 25-year-old yet. That was from Sarah Lang. That's pretty incredible. This guy gets on base. He hits for power. He is a undeniable, undeniably one of the faces of baseball, like one of the more recognizable faces in all of baseball. He is going to be unquestionably a Blue Jay killer. This has put more pressure on the Toronto Blue Jays, obviously. You had this as a backup plan. This was something that people thought you could turn to if it didn't work out. Hell, you heard Ennis in here. What day is it? He was in here yesterday, right? God, I'm losing track of time. I'm losing my mind. I, got, I need more sunshine. I need, like, real days. I need the the delight not to go away at 4 p.m. and then wake up to snow and just, uh, I'm, I'm completely disoriented. Remember early days in the pandemic when you didn't know what day it was? That's how I'm feeling with this winter. I don't know if it's different. I don't know what's going on, but my brain is not working at 100% capacity. And this was in here yesterday, and he was basically alluding to his already contrarian take of, hey, Juan Soto's the better fit because he actually plays left field and, oh, blah, 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 age, whatever. Certainty of what he's actually going to be with your team. That's gone. That hope is gone. You miss out on Shohei now, and what is the next plan? We've seen that they're prepared, but what what happened when I talked to Ben Nicholson Smith earlier in the week? I said, hey, are they at danger of this Shohei thing going a little long, and all of a sudden it impacts some of the potential decisions? He went, ah, no, probably going to wait, right? If you're the Padres, you want to make sure that you can get maximum return And I think that's what the Yankees just did there, though. Smart move by them. If they were going to make this trade and it was coming down to a prospect or two, right? If they were always going to be willing to include Michael King and apparently this Drew Thorpe guy. I don't know really anything about baseball prospects. I don't think anybody does. It's why it's so funny when people have hardline opinions on baseball prospects. I'm like, oh, yeah, you watched him in double A last year, did you? Okay, sure. I can look up his numbers as well. All of a sudden, the Blue Jays are completely all in on Shohei Otani. There's just nothing else. This is going to go... This is either going to be the biggest thing that I think as This is the biggest signing, unquestionably, that would have ever happened in Canadian sports history. Like, there's nothing... heydu Tukerloo isn't bigger than this. I'm sorry to inform everyone. John Tavares is not bigger than this. This would be the biggest free agent signing in Canadian Major League sports history without even, like, a close comparison. This is, like... This is so far and away from anything else. You have that as a possibility versus Shohei Otani going to the Dodgers, wearing the Dodger blue or going to the Angels, which some people are reporting is still a very realistic option, which I think is even more of a doomsday scenario because then he's still in the American League and they're going to feel pressure to win. And the Angels are going to be back in the mix instead of whatever, potentially taking a step back and trying to shed some salary and look at what the future of that organization is. I, I just don't know what the pivot is here. That isn't going to absolutely devastate this fan base. Like you have either the prospect of a national hero, a face of the organization who will come in here and be one of the most exciting athletes that the city has ever had. Or you're going to be bargain shopping, trying to get a guy like Heimer Candelario <laughs> in free agency. Or potentially getting in on overpaying Cody Bellinger in those sweepstakes. Like this is this has gone from fun to could you and, and could you imagine to oh my god, this needs to happen. Poof. The only thing I will say about the Soto thing, I'm definitely not going to be critical of, of the Jays for going all in on so, uh, going all in on Shohei and having this timeline work this way, right? Like because I, I know there's going to be a natural reaction of. Well, the Jays should have just known that they were never realistically in on Shohei, and they should have pivoted to Soto, and hey, they could have traded for Soto. They blew their chance because they didn't, they didn't gauge the market properly. Nah, that the package the Yankees gave up could choke a horse. This was something that, again, when I first looked at this, I went, there's absolutely no way they're going to do this for a one-year rental player that you're going to have to give hundreds of millions of dollars to next year who really wants to go to market. Maybe he doesn't because it's the Yankees. Maybe this is one of the only places in baseball, essentially, that's going to be able to lock this guy up without him being able to test the market. But the pressure that the Yankees fans and the Yankees organization is going to feel with this guy this year, knowing that there's a huge ticket coming, the risk of a player like that walking, had the Blue Jays done it, I I wanted Soto. I thought it would have been great. He clearly would have been a splash. Uh, Of course, you would have wanted to have him, especially if they were willing to commit the dollars. But that move, like we're talking about a comparable package of Manoa, Tiedemann, plus, plus, plus. And I don't know if the Blue Jays could, could have done that. You, listen, you're not the New York Yankees, okay? You can't just unload the entire farm system. You can't give up every long-term asset you have and hope that it's just going to be all right and that you're going to bounce back the following year or two. It's just, it's, it's not, you're playing different rules than the New York Yankees. Anyway, the Leafs are back, which, uh, you know, I was texting with James about this yesterday. It's the weirdest schedule ever. Like, <laughs> two and 12 days in the Sweden trip, Pack in a bunch, then basically go on vacation again. And now we've got a December sprint. James Myrtle, managing editor of the Athletic. What's up, brother?
1: Yeah, they've uh, they've played nine games since November tenth, which was the win over Calgary. If people still remember that, so it's you know it's coming up on a month with with nine games, which is not very much. And then you look ahead to the next month, and it's mm-hmm. completely it's completely crazy for them. So, you know, I think a little bit concerning with what's happening with. You know the goaltending. You're going to have to play. You can't play wall every game. Um, just with how, how jam. I, I think they have 12 in the next 23 days, something yeah. like that. Like yeah. You're gonna you're gonna need another goalie to play at
0: least four. I think that's a good thing, though. I really do. I it just find out what you have. That's supposed to be so much of this regular season, and find out if you can rely on Samsonov or if you can find his game again. Like yeah. I'd I'd rather that than it all spread out. And you continue to see what, like, Wool we'll get four starts in a row. I think that's what he's at right now. And then the odd Samsonov start, where he gets mixed in and he plays poorly, and you feel like he can't get into a groove. Like, to me, the formula was always you want to have both of these guys going and feel like either one of them could step into a playoff series, and, you, and you're confident with who's in net.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me at this point, I mean, if you get into mid to late February and Samsonov still rocking the eight seventy eight save percentage, I mean. You're, you might be thinking about, hey, may, do we need, like, I mean, I guess maybe Martin Jones comes into the equation there, and that's the benefit of having a guy as your number three who's played 10 years in the league. But, you know, if if they're really tight for cap space and they're trying to make something really big happen, mm-hmm. I mean, why not push Samsonov out? I mean, that that could all of a sudden be part of So, you know, it's, it's a really big next two, three months for Samsonov to try and find his game because this is turning into kind of a lost season for him right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it it really is. And uh, you can see why the Leafs didn't want to extend him to term, right? And this is probably why the formula is going to continue this way for goaltenders in this market, unless they end up with like an absolute bona fide. Um, yeah, that you're 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 going to have to feel comfortable going year to year or on these two-year deals or just short bridge ones because you don't really know what you're going to end up having. And yeah, to, to my eye, the good thing about Samsonov at least is that he is the pending UFA, right? So if... And I know they've got this Klingberg space, and we'll talk about that in a second, but if you do get to the trade deadline and you're looking at trying to acquire a bunch of big money, I kind of think that the Samsonov thing could work to your advantage if you actually know that he's not going to be the guy for you. If you kind of are looking at him as a salary dump and getting off of all that money on the books and then having the Klingberg Mm -hmm. space as well, like to me, this isn't... If you would have told me at the beginning of the season, hey, Samson, I was really not going to go. He's going to have a sub-900 save. It's all going to be pinned on Joe Wall. I would have said, man, that's a nightmare scenario. But if you combine what we've seen from Wall, what the Leafs might need in net, and yeah, their ability to potentially just kind of pick up another body and then offload that that contract so that they can address other areas. I just, I'm not as concerned about it as I thought. I think I would have been a couple of months ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's fair. And there's a bunch of teams around the league that are are playing that are, have three goalies on their roster right now, and yeah. it's it's not a tenable situation. You know, like Detroit's an example. Um, so that there it, it you might be able to to pick off someone with a smaller salary who's going to give you better results. And I mean, that's a little bit. There, there's still a couple months of of games we need to see before yeah, we make course. that determination. But you know, after Klingberg, Samsonov's three point five is. Is is the part of their cap allocation where they're not really getting value right now? Mm. Yeah, I think
0: that's pretty clear. Um, yeah, with Samsonov, I just I, I worry with goaltenders sometimes in this market. We we saw it with Freddie Anderson. Uh, we saw it eh, to actually we didn't really see it with Jack Campbell where he was worn out here, but Freddie for sure. Where I think that the the mental toll and the, the coverage that ends up happening when they end up shifting off of you and you've been the number one, it can be really hard on some guys. And, and I think that's my major concern with Samsonov is people, t- you know, jokingly would call him Russian Jack Campbell and say that he might be affected differently. And we've seen him wear it publicly. And I, I don't mind him the way that he's kind of spoken pretty candidly about how he's felt throughout the slow start, how he's just a pretty transparent guy with the media. But yeah, I definitely think that there's a scenario here where you're going to be able to find out, you know, in over the course of the next month whether or not you're going to have this guy on your roster or not.
1: Yeah, and I mean the reality too is that last year was the outlier for him. I mean, most of his seasons yeah. in Washington's looked more like this year than last year. So um you know, and you're totally right about term and goal. The funny thing is, is that the the goalie that got term was Joseph Wall, and he's making under the league minimum. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, I guess you're okay with term if the guy's making dollars k. Sure. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're lucky that they didn't try and get th- that Samsonov was asking for so much on a two or a three year deal that they just it wasn't even contemplated. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that just when the schedule gets this packed, it's it's going to be interesting and. Maybe it's a good thing, but just with the, the blue line that they're playing right now, how many minutes they're giving to their big guys, uh, how many overtime shootout games they've played so far, mm-hmm. and then now there being so many games in a short window, I think we're going to see fatigue be a real factor here leading up before Christmas. Yeah, that's, that's, gonna be, that's, that's a really interesting thing to watch. I, I've
0: been tracking it on Leafs Talk. I think the Leafs are at 45 minutes of overtime played mm-hmm. at this point. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, they're they're approaching an extra game of ice time. And the whole point of these overtimes, like, people always go, hey, we want more three-on-three, we want more three-on-three. And you go, no, you can't because they they don't want to burn out the players. (laughs) And it's early December, and they've already almost played an extra game of overtime with the five-minute period. So, you know, you you talked about
1: so yeah, not ahead. just that, JD, but, like, look at who's getting the minutes. Like, have you looked at the minute breakdown in overtime yep. for the players? Like, the Leafs are only playing, like, three forwards in overtime. Mm-hmm. The number four forward, I think, is Camp, who's played, like, four minutes. But if you look at the top, if you look at Nealander, Marner, Matthews, and they're barely playing Tavares in overtime, those three, like, it's it's in, they're playing, like, almost the whole thing. And it's the same thing if you look on defense. Like, Riley is out there. I think he's played, like, two-thirds of of the overtimes that they've played. And they just, you know, keeps not doesn't trust the rest of his lineup to be out there. I I, I, I don't know
0: how he could, but I will also say that this is why I haven't been overly critical of when they make mistakes in OT, which has happened a couple of times when they've lost it. Like Nylander, right? He has the turnover in the middle of the ice the other game. And I went, all right, you know, sure. Do I wish he didn't make that play? Of course. But am I going to really hammer it given that, He looks like a guy who's trying to climb Everest without an oxygen mask. (laughs) Like, no, he's tired. His brain is completely depleted of oxygen. He needs to be able to rest. So, yeah, I I, I think it's a concern. I'm not. Yeah, it's, it's not a, like a five alarm fire for me. I, I do consider these guys like really high end athletes and that you can go through a stretch of this and that hopefully things do normalize a little bit. But I, I do think that there's a little bit of pressure on Keith right now and the rest of the lineup to kind of figure things out and decide, hey, uh, we've got to play some of these guys more. We've got to trust some of these guys more. I think he talked about it a little bit at a uh, media availability the other day with Noah Gregor, right, where he said something along the lines of I think about it every day have ways to get him extra minutes. So you'll probably Mm -hmm. see a little bit more of that. Uh, Also a guy I think could play in an overtime, but yeah, the the minutes thing is very real. And this stretch run is going to be, I think pretty impactful in terms of shaping our opinions on the rest of the season. But okay. So you, you touched on the D thing, right? Where you're like, Hey, it's at a time where they've had to lean on guys. And yeah, Morgan Riley's playing a lot of minutes. I do wonder if fatigue has actually impacted him in his play the last couple of games, because he hasn't looked as good as he did throughout the vast majority of the regular season. You know, they've already got an injury to Giordano. I don't know if you're going to be able to count on him down the stretch. Um, Brody's played a ton. You're got to be concerned about having him turn into the player that he was in the postseason last year, which was like not all reliable. But I've actually really liked the guys that have come in in reserve for the Leafs. Like, where are you at in terms of the desperation factor for the blue line moving forward here? Because Lilligren's skating. He doesn't look terribly far away. Giordano, I'm under the impression is not terribly far away. Like,
1: I mean, I'm hearing Lilgrin's not close either, right? Like, the, Those high ankle sprains can go on forever, and it can be something that's really tough to play through. So I think it's at least a month for him.
0: Do you think that they've bought that time, though? Like, I, I'm watching this blue line, and they, they have issues, right? Like We talked about it last week. They can't really break the puck out super well. They are leaning on their top guys a little bit too much. But overall, I, 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 when I watch them play, I'm not like,
1: this is a huge sore spot for the team right now. No, because it's kind of like last year in November when they had the injuries and they they were using kind of like the piecemeal blue line and everyone stepped up and played well. I mean, that was when Giordano went like old man beast mode last year. But, I mean, the revelations this year at Legacy and Benoit have been way more than you would have expected. Like, you would have thought, I would have thought those guys would have maxed out at like kind of 10, 11 minutes a night. If you look at, I mean, Benoit played a lot of minutes, but for Anaheim last year and the... The, the underlying numbers were so bad that you had some stats people saying this guy's not an NHL player. But you know the team he was on and being paired with Klingberg, I think, were part of it because he looks fine. And Legison played in Edmonton, a team where they could have used uh, a, a steady guy you don't notice on the back end, and they barely played him. And uh, I think it was you know more just like the uh, it was kind of like a coaching staff didn't like the player stylistically, but. You know, he also looks like an NHL player, and I know Timmons is your favorite guy on the roster, but, I mean, I I think Timmons has been okay. I mean, he's, he's, clearly, the, he's clearly the number six, but it, it's not like last year with Timmons where I'm like, oh, man, get that guy off the ice. I think he's been a little bit better than last year. Um, he did miss the whole start of the year, so you got to cut him some slack and give him some time to get up to speed. I think he's been okay, and, you know, even McCabe's had some games lately where he's been less... Terrifying with the puck. So, you know, and they've had to play him so much. Um, You know, and I wonder if there's a comfort there from a cave where playing more, he's going to feel more involved in the game and and just play better than being more of a depth guy. You
0: know, what's kind of funny about the blue line is uh, so I I talked about the Raptors yesterday and how this isn't all that complicated. Like, Grange was on last week and he was saying how many of the Raptors could start for other teams. It's like all Mm -hmm. of them, like, all of them could start for a lot of other teams. Uh, they don't have a bona fide superstar. Siakam, some nights, looks like it. Uh, Barnes sometimes looks like it. OG has nights where he flashes a little bit more offense than normal. But overall, it looks like a collection of guys that are just ready-made to to have a star dropped in. Like if they could get like a for Arman's guy, Tyrese Halliburton, like an amazing guard who could score around this team, you actually feel like, holy crap they'd be a title contender immediately. Like, that's how good the the surrounding players are. And I feel like that with the Leafs blue line right now. It's like they've got how many guys who are fifth and sixth defensemen? That yeah. you, they, They've got an amazing collection of dudes who are fifth and sixth defensemen, and then you try to ask a little bit too much of them, and you start to see the warts. So at least the one good thing to me is that you're sort of finding out about this team, and as they get healthier... I don't think that they're going to need to add the depth blue liner that you overpay for. It's really going to come down to who becomes available that's at the top of the pile. And can you swallow the price to bump everybody down?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's got to be Tanev, right? Like, I feel like at this point, Mm -hmm. it's it's like an 80% chance that he's the guy. Unless Calgary's asking for something outrageous and they can't make it work, it just feels like... You know, and you look at the land, I, I, I've seen, there's been some stories, you know, we had one, I, I, Sportsnet's had had one, just of defensemen that they could look at and add. And, it's bad. I, I mean, there's talk about Hannafin, I mean, maybe that's like the pie in the sky, yeah. you, you'd love to get him, but it feels, it just feels like it's, there's going to be all this talk about Tanev, and then normally when that happens, that's what ends up happening, and he's a local guy right side really good defensively you can play him on the top pair he can face other teams top lines you know he's he's older he's had lots of injuries but you know i remember when he left vancouver and he went to calgary i think that was four years ago he signed that deal Mm -hmm. and a lot of people in vancouver said he's had too many injuries you know he's on the decline and he went to calgary and he played really really well on that deal and so he's going to get one more contract potentially at a hometown discount potentially back here in toronto and Mm -hmm. there's just like all of these arrows pointing in his direction. I I feel like I'll be surprised, frankly, if it's not him that they bring in.
0: Yeah, it, the, the fit seems pretty obvious. Um, especially now they do have that cap space and it just seems like a pretty seamless fit. Uh, to me, you can't give up too much for a Tanev. You have to, like, but if they do end up giving up a first round pick, I, I don't think that's going to be, an, uh, like, that's not going to be a price that you can balk at right like it's it's going to be somewhere to me anyways in, in that ballpark of an asset um, the issue I, I have with banking on him is how many teams are going to be in need of that type of playoff right side defenseman who can eat a bunch of minutes the later we go into the season and how many teams are actually going to be sellers like what is the rest of the market going to look like like Toronto had this opportunity to jump it like I- I'm not critical of the Zadorov Zor- the thing at all. I've-, I've made my position on it very, very clear. I actually like that Toronto was trying to get both, and that they wanted Calgary to swallow some salary. And uh, I-, I can't remember who it was. Oh, I was talking to Frank Cervelli about this, and he was mentioning that maybe the price actually for that wasn't all that high. Like it wasn't. It wouldn't have been like say you got to throw in Fraser Minton, right? Which some people feared for. Uh, a package that was, like, two UFA defensemen. So it was going to be in, like, potentially something lower than that. But I just, like, look at this, the landscape, man. Like, everyone's doing this exercise with the Leafs. There's a lot of people who cover the Leafs. There's a lot of people who have interest in them who are trying to, like, scour and figure out who would would fit on this team. And, you know, you see stuff like Sean Walker, who's... How, how big is Sean Walker? 5'10"? 5'11". I mean, he he, oh, play, he, he plays... He he plays, you know, sure, tough. sure, like sure, gonna... sure. I'm not trying but, to take a shot. at him. I'm just saying, like, I don't think that the team needs another, like, smaller defenseman. And it's like, that's the next seemingly realistic step in the market right now. Like, and and like, who's going to develop all of a sudden and become a seller? Like, how many teams are you looking at right now in the standings and saying, oh, well, they're really going to fall off and they're going to have a lot of things to sell. I, I like, I don't see a ton.
1: Yeah, I mean, then all of a sudden you'd have to start looking at guys with term, maybe, and then and then the asset you're giving up is going to be more, and you know, like I, I've seen, there's a little bit of talk about Matheson in Montreal, but you know, he's got a pretty reasonable contract. He's having a huge year. You know, is are the Canadians want to give up a top pair D to a division rival? You know, are yeah. they? I mean, they're going to be a team that's that's going to fall out of it for sure. So, um, yeah, I think that's the thing I like like about potentially getting someone with term is that if you get a UFA and you're not able to sign them, I mean, they're going to, the blue line is, does not look promising for next year too. So, you know, there's a world where you try and address a problem for more than just the next, you know, five months. Um, So maybe there'll be some more names like that that come into play. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I, 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 I feel like it's, they're going to add a defenseman for sure this season. And I feel it's like, you know, 75, 80% that Tana going to be the guy, but you're right. If, you know, if you get closer to the deadline, I think the mistake Calgary made was trading Zadorov so early, like just wait, wait till the price comes up. Wait until teams are more desperate. Wait until there's more buyers in the mix, you know, and you should be able to get more than a third and a fifth round pick for a guy like that. Who's six, six and can play big minutes on a playoff team. Yeah. That just felt
0: like we don't like having this dude in the dressing room and we're moving on. Like, there's just that we don't want to deal with the agent. We don't want to deal with the player. We don't want to have another incident like this. We're kind you of getting back on track. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they were yeah. also getting back on track, right, with some wins. And, mm-hmm. and I wonder how much of that was just them going, hey, this is the, these are the guys that want to be here. This is the attitude shift. And, you know, what do you essentially lose? Maybe, maybe you could have gotten a second from somebody. Like, he wasn't going for a first-round pick, so you, you, you lost maybe like 25, you know, spots in a draft. I, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of debatable for, to me. Yeah, that's fair. So, it was your Super Bowl this week. My Super Bowl? Yeah. Okay. You don't know what I'm alluding to? Uh, the cap. No. Cap talk. Cap going <laughs> up by 4.2 million. You got <laughs> to do... I would say that your most... Would you say it's fair to say that your most famous articles now are when you do the projected cap sheets and how everything could fit?
1: Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always loved doing that stuff. Like I like read the CBA and sure. I, I talk to the oh capologist with a bunch of teams around the league. And so like, I'm in the weeds with all that stuff. Oh,
0: I, I'm trying to think about like what type of a threat. Would get me to read the CBA, like <laughs> if they told me you're fired from this job, read the CBA. or fired from this job. I'd be like, I don't know. I I might see what's out there. I might I, see what else is uh what else is on the horizon. Like obviously, if it was like personal harm, they're like, we're gonna break your arm. I'd be like, all right, I'll read the CBA. But I don't know what the like if they were gonna break my brother's arm,
1: <laughs> you yeah, know, I don't know. I think I, I I think I'm the only one that covers hockey that actually likes covering the work stoppages, which you uh, know, like you're you know, sick. Like,
0: that's a sick would, thing to say that. The the fact that you put that on record is uh,
1: deplorable, (laughs) especially, you you know, when I was at the globe, I was like, I was writing about like, you know, union uh, decertification and like talking to, you know, like talking to legal scholars about what the next step in the the lockout could be and and i'm if that ever happens again i'm ready to go yeah here's the problem is they say know your audience and for you that audience is like four guys (laughs) that's four people no no but that stuff did well because like nobody else will touch it like if you're the only one in the lane then like you know i yeah i mean so anyway yeah like i think the cap stuff and I think you know, you, there's an appetite for it. Like you look at some of the other sports, and there's guys that write. A, I mean, I remember Blake Murphy when he was writing with us, and you know, like his knowledge of the NBA cap is just so fantastic. Yeah. And there's there's a demand for the, and I think the NBA cap's more complicated than the NHL one, but there's a demand for that kind of understanding because it matters. It, like you know, if you look at the the coverage. You know, the stuff I was writing before we went into the deadline last year, it's like, uh-huh. here's how they can get O'Reilly, here's how they can get McCabe, here's they're going to have to do double retention, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the way it ended up playing out. And, you know, it looked like they didn't have a lot of room, but there was a way, there was a path for them to create room, and that's what they ended up doing. And, you know, this year, I think it's with, with the Klingberg money. I mean, if you're getting double retention on the other side, they can bring in a lot of money. Yeah. They Like, you know, the the 4.15 for Klingberg – And now Lilgren's going to come back and, you know, it's going to eat in a little bit of that space, but you can basically acquire seven, 8 million in salary at the deadline if you want to.
0: Yeah. But that's, that's what I'm saying about too, is just, I, I much prefer the idea of the Leafs, Going, like, the all-in route for a bona fide top four guy with term than mm-hmm. renting Chris Tanev. And there's a little bit of the Chris Tanev thing to me, too, with, like, the Giordano stuff, right? Is, like, that would be the comparable for me is if you're giving up a second-round pick for Chris Tanev, you do it in a heartbeat, just like they did with Giordano. And then you're saying he's giving up the hometown discount the, the next year. But if you're the Leafs and you have... Okay, so my, here's my dumb guy math, all right? You ready? You can, you can fact-check these things. Sure. I think the Leafs are going to have... million next year in cap space. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of deals coming up. Yeah, Yeah. no, they do. I I think it's going to be nine players minimum that they have to sign. And that's going to include, like, yeah, goaltenders, their entire blue line. There's, there's tons. There's tons of work that they're going to need to do. But I love the idea of just preemptively getting ahead with this cap and just saying, hey, we're going to give up. Who cares? Give up Minton. Give up first-round pick. If you're going to package some of those assets anyways, I'd much rather have it with some cost certainty coming aboard and a guy that you know is going to be a part of your blue line for the next couple of years. Like, if we're, if we're talking about this Matthews timeline, right, of this is the now... The the new title contender window is the, the Matthews contract, not whatever it's going to be looking down the line or hoping and dreaming and wishing on uh, Tavares taking a hometown discount or maybe you trade Marner. The, the goal is win in the Matthews contract timeline. This is the certainty that you have. I, I just, I like overpaying for a, a better defenseman, taking all of your assets and just saying, yep, we, we moved him for this guy. And then go out and try to sign Chris in the off season to that hometown mm-hmm. discount. Like try to sign him for nothing. Poach somebody of that ilk in free agency, like wait on it. I, I like the certainty move. Like that's my, that was my first thought when I saw the cap jump is, I feel like this does give you a bit of an advantage knowing, okay, finally we have this space. Now let's lock some of it up rather than go into an off season where, yeah, you've got, like I said, thirty four and a half million dollars. Then and you still got to sign ten send, t- sign ten dudes. Get some of the work done.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you look at their their cap situation next year. Even if you're giving Nealander ten, which mm-hmm. I mean, we'll see what happens. Even if you're giving them ten, I think they're okay. Like it doesn't really, you know, I think you can actually even afford to bring in another defenseman who's making six plus. I think you can fit that in, you know. And and part of it is Joseph Wall's not going to be making anything next year, and so, I mean- you'll have you have to go cheap in gold you know you don't so have what? to it's going to be hard to fill out some of the forward you're going to have to find some bargain buys there but i think that's going to be the case no matter what mm-hmm. like you know like the and the other thing too so caps going up 5% what would you say it was 4.2? Yeah, 4.2 Yeah. it's going, up, it's going up 87.6 something it's going it's going to be the, one of the biggest jumps we've seen in the last whatever 8 or 9 years it's still refreshing and then it's probably going to do that again the year a year later. It's probably going to get up into the ninety one And Tavares' deal comes up after that year, mm-hmm. so you've got one year where you're going you're to have, you know, <laughs> uh, the the big four making the big the big dollars. But you know, you look ahead, and their their cap situation I think is fine. You know, I and I agree with you. If you're giving up one of your top prospects, you're giving up your first round pick why not do something that's going to make an impact on your roster for more than, yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know if that deal is going to be out there, but there's, you know,
0: I'm just saying if there's this year's chicken, they're going to look, they're going to look like if, if a team has this year's chicken or, um, you know, the, the, here's, here would be the ideal scenario actually for both parties is where the Leafs would probably have to overpay for somebody, but that that overpayment convinces them, you know what, we're going to do this deal and we're going to try to get out of the murky middle this year. Like you look at the standings, right? And I like I'm I just, if you're the Islanders, you're the Capitals, you're the Devils, you know, you're these teams, right? The, uh, I don't know. I feel like the Sabres can't really sell this year. I, I don't think Ottawa's doing a deal with Toronto or that they are even going to be removing for the blue. But you you get what I'm saying. Like that that middle of the packish. Group that doesn't really feel like they're real contenders or that there's a, a realistic scenario or outcome where they make a deep cup run. If one of those teams who's like on the fence, you're going to proactively and saying, we're going to give you this monster package of our top end prospect types in like a Minton and a first and maybe even more. And we're not even going to ask you to retain some of it. Like that, that to me is the hope that, that Toronto has moving forward. That's the thing that they should be sitting on. And like, to tie it back to the, the blue line question, this is, sort of the, this is the one thing that I'm happy about when it comes to not making the double dip for Tanev and Zadorov. It's like, Zadorov goes away. I don't really feel like they missed out on anything. Tanev, I'd love to see the Leafs bring in. But to me, it's just like, don't make the stopgap move anymore. Make the, we're adding a piece that isn't a mercenary to the actual core use those assets and push in for something. Hope that someone becomes available and just be patient with that one because the record and the blue line, the way that some of these guys have played, I think that the real luxury is they've bought you time.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. The, the only thing is is like, there's a reason why it's mostly rentals that happen because it's hard to get guys with term. And of even if you're a team that falls out of it, you're like, well, next year it'll be different. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, like <laughs> they're, they're so that, that, like, you're talking about Ottawa, like, you know, we're going to, we're going to see them tonight. Yeah. You know, they, they're, they're not going to move off of no. Zoob and I mean, Chikrin's deal is coming up. And, and that's you an know, interesting gonna... one,
0: by the way, I'm going to ask Bobby Ryan about that. Like, I wonder if they do the same thing with Chikrin that they did with uh, Debrinkit.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they might not have a choice. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I think he's happy there and so we'll, we'll see, but um you know, most teams that even if they have a disappointing year this year, they're, they're not moving off of guys with term and especially defensemen, like yeah. especially defensemen. Yeah. Cause it's, you can get to free agency. It's kind of like what happened to the Leafs, right? They get to the free agency and it's like, uh, you're standing around and you don't, you don't, you don't get Shen, which is who they wanted, or you don't get Goudis. It's like, all right, let's just t- Like your musical chairs and Klingberg was the last chair sitting there and, they, they made a mistake and they actually got really lucky that um, they were able to get out of it as quickly as they did and that they're able to have a mulligan and, and spend that money again. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I think you're right. I think you be patient. I think you look at the landscape around the league. I think you hope that someone like maybe like a Matheson shakes loose and, mm-hmm. and you can get involved there. Um, or, or or maybe the Hannafin conversations pick up. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, you know, if, if it's a left shot guy, lefty, who's not going to play alongside Riley, do you think that that works if that's the guy you get with term who can play pretty big minutes? Like, Do you like that? Or do they have enough on the right side to to work with that? Here's the thing.
0: It depends on if you really if – if I'm them, if there's a bona fide top four guy that you think brings some of the elements, like can break the puck out and plays with some snarl, then I don't care what side he plays on. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, I, in an ideal world, would I rather have the right shot D that brings you the mix of everything? Like, yeah, duh, obviously. Like, I feel like that's a simplistic take, but at this point, like, yeah, I just, I can't imagine anything more valuable to Leafs than having some certainty on their blue line that they've lacked like year over year over year over year. Just like, yeah, bring in the guy that Jake Muzzin was supposed to be, right? Like the the dude that held the locker room accountable, that everybody liked, that could provide some thump. It felt like they tried to do that with McCabe, right? Like Dubas went, "Hey, maybe McCabe is mini muzzin and it just it, it, he's not that, right? Like, stop trying to get the guys that are the the imperfect solution. Like that's my thing with Tanev is why why jump unless you feel like there's another move or that it's going to come in cheap. Like why jump for a Tanev? He's good. He's really, really good, but there's no certainty beyond this year. He is an injury-prone guy. He is 34 years old, and maybe you can sign him a local guy. Like, shouldn't you be able – shouldn't the Leafs of all the teams be the, the group that feels the most confident they could sign Chris Tanev next year? Like, they've got yes. Bradtree living. They've got cap space. They've got right. the market. Like, one of these times, maybe just say, no, we're the team that is feeling pretty confident. We'll poach him from wherever he goes.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the, the the counter to that is that if you acquire him now, you're going in feeling pretty confident that sure. you're you're not just getting a rental, right? Sure. So, like, that, that's part of the equation with getting him. And the other thing I would say, too, is that in an ideal world, I think you'd love to bring in another center, right? Someone yeah. that can come in and help your third line. And if you get of at 50% retained, you've got enough money to do that and be a player to add a forward to this group. Yeah, I so think that they're going to have to do both. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I so... Do. If you're adding a high-end defenseman with term, it's going to be harder to get the retention. Mm-hmm. It's going to eat up more of your space. It's going to take away your flexibility to add up front. You know, so there's some added benefits with Tannehill, where you are going to have another two, three million to do something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like that. Okay, so the last thing on the the cap moving forward,
0: how do you think this is going to impact the Nealander thing? Because this is this has been fairly quiet. Like for a guy that has had this start to the season, uh, we've been basically the consensus take has been, Hey, pay him the money and give him what he wants. And I I think I saw one of your articles where you put it down as uh, anything around like, or less than 10 they'll do. Or I can't, I don't don't misquote you, but you had one where you basically outlined what you would do in terms of what his value is. And the longer Mm -hmm. this thing goes. And when I saw that cap number jump, and thinking about teams like Chicago and the season Nylander's having, I I just feel more and more unsure about what kind of money he's going to command. Like this, yeah. and, and that, that jumped the following season too, right? This just, this feels like a guy who's going to be very, very willing to bet on himself and the figure might actually get to a place where Leaf fans look at it and go, holy crap, no, the, the that relief that you're starting to feel looking forward that you and I just talked about, that that could actually choke a lot of it out.
1: Well, I mean, and he's not going to be a young man at the at the end of that contract, right? Like, you know, he, 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 yeah. I think that if if Neilander continues on his trajectory, finishes top ten in scoring, has forty five goals and close to a hundred points, that changes the equation with what he can ask for and what he can command on the open market. It's mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. Like, remember, Gaudreau had that monster. Season and then he's able to parlay that in yeah, his nightmare. UFA deal and gets the nine seven five and then now he's not that. Or look at Huberdeau. He gets benched. Huberdeau has like the what did he have one hundred and twelve points that one year yeah. and then gets the monster contract and then but he's not actually that. And I'm not saying that that's what Nylander is. I'm saying that if you have one of those seasons where you're one of the top scoring players in the league, yeah. it changes the landscape in unrestricted free agency for you. It just does and. You know, before this season, I was often using the, the comparable of Philip Forsberg in Nashville. Yeah. And very, year, very similar five? numbers. 8-5. Uh, 8-5, eight five. Eight five, yeah, okay. 8-5 eight, eight, eight over eight years. Mm-hmm. And again, like he signed that in a lower cap environment. Yeah. It was, whatever, a year and a half ago. So, but if you extrapolate, you know, the cap percentage that Forsberg got in Nashville, it would put Neander around, you know, on, on next year's cap, it would put him around 9.1, 92 mm-hmm. You know, um, so I was kind of saying like, well, like that looks like the best comparable for him. But if you look a little bit deeper, the other comparables are the Goodrows and the Huberdos That's and guys the that got more and didn't, you know, had like one outlier crazy season, which Neander might have. And I think it's going to change. I think it changes the perspective of Neander around the league. Like part of, part of the conversation when you talk to other teams about Neander is they just. They don't seem to value him as as much in in recent seasons. Like let's say the last three years, you know when there were when there were trade rumors and and stuff like that, other teams I don't think valued him as much as they should have, given how good he is. But I think if he puts up 100 points or 45 goals, and he's right there among the league leaders, other teams are going to have no choice. And you look at what else is going to be available in free agency. Other teams are gonna, that that are desperate for scoring are going to make that bet. And I think that as you know, to try one, I think he can get, I think he can get 10.5. I think there's sure. absolutely no question about that. Like that's what Huberto yeah. makes.
0: So Huberto yeah. makes, he's, he's almost 13% of the cap when he signed it, which right. if I'm Nylander and I have one of those years, that's, that's the, what I'm going to be pointing to is like, why can't I get 12.7 or whatever the Huberto number is? It, like it, that's what his number is. 12.73. Let's Google it. he's 12.73% of the cap. If I'm Nylander, why would I budge off of that number? Like I, I want that money, especially given that the following year, it's going to jump right. up again. And if cool. I'm him too, I don't want to have a scenario where I sign a contract that's like 10 million bucks. Right. And then a year from now, Mitch Marner comes up and he's up for a new deal and you're looking at Marner and he's going to get what another $3 million more the the following season, because the cap's going to have that other spike and then you're if you're Nylander, you're like basically back in that same situation that you're feeling right now, which is I'm tired. Like this is why this whole thing is just such a toxic thing for the Leafs, of just like one guy going after the next. Is I, I like is he going to be happy with Mitch Marner making like continuously making more like two more million dollars
1: a season than him? Mm, I think that that matters to all these guys, kind That's of like where they slot in with everybody else. It, it, I think it matters to them. So. um the only thing I'll push, but I don't think Marner's getting a 3 million raise on, on the 10.9. He's I had, he's had already. I don't think so either. I hey, listen <laughs> so uh, good I luck to you. anybody
0: that does that. But my, my point though is actually more so that he will get a raise. Like it's just, it just, it's going to happen. Like Marner's going to end up getting a raise, which sounds nuts given that his last contract was just like, quite frankly, a pretty significant overpay. It's really the worst of the, all, all of the Leafs contracts, the, the bad one, like people always point to the Tavares one. It's like, he was a free agent. There were other teams that were going to give him $11 million. Like the, the Marner one is you completely outbid yourselves and you gave this guy that money to satiate, you know, the ego when in reality, like there really wasn't a case for him to get that kind of money or that kind of term. And so, yeah, uh, I, I think that you're trying to avoid a, another mistake with him, but I, I just still feel like with the cap going up that much, it's impossible to think that his number stays flat.
1: Yeah. But I mean, I I I don't know. I don't think I see all four guys being here over like the really long term. So like that at, that. at 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 some point the band gets broken up, right? Yeah. I mean, unless unless they win win and everything, and then you just <laughs> you just keep it together. But yeah. How many times have we heard that? Oh, this is the last year. <laughs> this is the About- year. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. But I'm not saying this is the last year. I'm just saying at some point, like yeah. I, I don't know that. Yeah. At some point, the world will end. So, yeah. Know,
0: like that's <laughs> at some point, all things going end. Supernova yes, then... Yeah. Exactly. At some point, all of these things gotta close, uh, including this interview. Hey, buddy. Thanks for the time today. Okay. Thanks, JD. Cheers, pal. James Myrtle, senior managing editor at The Athletic. Uh, yeah. Be patient. Don't. Don't rush that would be my my advice. If you can get Tanev on a deal like this is the Zdor- the uh, the Zadorov. That's hard to say. If you can get that kind of price for him, right? If Calgary says, yeah, we'll fork over this player and it's going to cost you a second and something else, then you go, yeah, all right. The Giordano trade. You do that. If it's a first or more, I just I'm waiting. I'm sitting with the powder and saying maybe we end up being able to use this on a trade for a bigger name that becomes available. I'd love to see Tanev come in here. I'd love to see him play heavy minutes. I think that there's a lot about the player that is a very, very good fit, but you're talking about using up that cap space for the Klingberg money. You're talking about giving up a pretty significant asset if you're going to have to jump the gun. I, I don't know. I, I'm waiting. Anyway, uh, Limp biscuit will be coming to Budweiser stage next year on July 24th as part of the Loserville tour. And we are giving away tickets. So to enter, all you got to do is tune in to episodes of the JD Bunkus podcast. They put the wrong thing in the, the copy they misnamed my show that's tough that's a tough look for me and where my standing is at the company uh listen to the code word then text the code word to 590 590 today's code word is my way text my way to 590 right now to enter for your chance to win we will be giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow but if you don't want to win with us tickets are on sale at ticketmaster.ca starting friday december 8th at 10 a.m so tomorrow at 10 you can grab tickets to this tour uh all right quick break I think I'm at my wits end with the raps. I'm going to keep this short and sweet because I talked about the Raptors a lot yesterday. I watched the heat game, right? Slowery's back. Yay. Look at how silly Kyle is when he returns to Toronto. And it dawned on me that I I just think that I'm like many of you, which is, uh, I've, I've hit my limit when it comes to just, Hey, remember, don't, Hey, remember when the Raptors were fun. Hey, it Raptors used to be fun. Hey, Don't raps were fun. Hey, raps won a championship. Give them, give them time, give them space. Let's figure it out. If you're at the game and you're, you know, watching a tight one, they're hitting shots. It's always gonna be fun. Like going to a Raptors game is always a great experience. Like being in the building for an NBA game. There's just a, there's a juice to it. Knowing that you're going to see stars and yeah, it's a, it's an incredible live product, but I'm like feeling the way that I do about the raps right now, like the, I feel about the CFL, which is like, listen, I want to go to the game, but I, if I'm watching on TV, I don't know. It doesn't feel like a, a product that I'm enjoying as much. I'm comparing it to other things. And with the Raptors, I'm just comparing them to other teams. And like last night, just a rock fight. Stretches where nobody can score. Barnes turned it on a little bit late, and Siakam did have a 30-piece, but this team is just like painful to watch. It is just, it's just is not an enjoyable experience whatsoever. And I just don't know how much longer, I get it, uh, you can't make a move to make a move. They're the, uh, the opposite of that. It's just like the holding on to all of these guys and running out this core again. Like, what are we watching this for? Like, what, what, are, what are people enjoying about these Raptors games right now? Like, when Scotty Barnes is a night like he has last night, where he hits a couple of late threes, and that's nice, and we're reminded that the season is 38% from deep, and when his feet are set, he looks like he can really knock it down. He's got a couple of plays late where he just muscles in on a group and and scores some baskets, but, like, how many nights do I have to dedicate to watching a bench where it's, like, Precious Achua and Chris Boucher doing the same dumb things? Like, you know, it's just where I have to watch this level of guard play from a team. Like, they're not going anywhere. We need to stop pretending like there's this outcome that the Raptors are suddenly going to figure it out and put it all together and that this is going to be a tough out team in the play. Like, no, they can have nights. They can't do it consistently. That's why their coach is t- desperately trying to offer them dinners to win three games in a row. And I just, it's, it's just, it's not fun for anybody anymore. It's become a slog. Like a true, bona fide, painful slog. Not having a first-round pick, not having the direction for the franchise, not having any kind of semblance of guard play, not having really any hope of this changing in the near future. It's just, it's all, it's all too much, man. It's all too much. And, like, I just, I know how I felt watching that game last night, which is chore. It was a chore. And I, I hate feeling like something that's supposed to be an escape for many an enjoyable experience where you sit down on the couch and you slip on a basketball game and just kind of chill out and enjoy the show that the Raptors just now feel like, oh, pain every single night, pain. Anyway, quick break. Let's talk to Bob Nightingale. Could the Blue Jays have even offered a package for Juan Soto that would have matched what the Yankees offered? That's next. So yeah, the pressure on the Blue Jays, sky high. Juan Soto is a Yankee. And Shohei Ohtani has yet to make his decision for more on all of this. Great, Bob Nightingale of USA Today, columnist there, and of course, MLB Insider. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for doing this.
2: Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yeah, so, all right, let's start with this. The Yankees trade package. When when this was first reported, um, when we first started seeing the the names that the Padres were asking for, a lot of us went, oh, crap, that's way too much for one year of a rental uh, Juan Soto, especially given that, you know, you've got to pay him. So, so, what changed for the Yankees?
2: I mean, it was pretty much the same pass. It took me, what, one pitcher. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it was a heavy, heavy thing. I just think it shows the desperation that they felt they had to have. him. they were never in on uh, Bellinger, so I don't, I don't think there was a, uh, a good backup plan. So, when they signed, when they uh, for Berdugo, I think part of that plan was uh, to put, put some pressure on the uh, Padres to uh, move Soto because now they didn't
0: have as huge as a need for the guy. So do you think that the Jays even had a trade package that would have been able to leapfrog this? Because the insinuation from everybody was, hey, nobody's trading uh, Juan Soto before Shohei moves. The market's going to be locked up because the Padres are going to want to see what the return is from other organizations.
2: Well, I, th- I think in the uh, Padres' case, they said, hey, let's get something to the Yankees. They say the Blue, the Blue Jays get O'Connor. They're out of it completely. Mm-hmm. So I think there's are desperation the on the Padres part, too. And, uh, you know, they've got a very good package back in return. Uh, A.J. Poe, their GM, said late last night that there were 10 teams in on them originally. At the end, just three teams. So I would think maybe a third team might be either uh, the Cubs or Seattle. But obviously the Blue Jays, yeah, I'm sure we're in the picture.
0: Do you have any idea as to what the Blue Jays were offering, like what the starting point or the the bones of a trade with the Padres would have looked like?
2: I do not, but I do know that you know uh, yesterday that they they were pretty much doing with the Yankees all day. So I don't think anybody else is talking to the close. Uh, even early in the morning, the Yankees said, "Okay, we think we can get this thing done." So I think they're just kind of consenting everything. Uh, yeah, you know, everything the Padres asked for. So I, I think Yankees Blue out on the water just with the prospects. And uh, it, was a, it was a heavy price.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was a, a really heavy price. Like if you were trying to compare it to the Blue Jays, uh, the only comparable I could come up with was that they would be starting with offering Manoa and Ricky Tiedemann. And yeah, packaging those two guys together for a rental player that was going to market seemed like, yeah, it probably wasn't something that Toronto could end up, yeah, uh, matching. The problem is, is that now there is just a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of pressure on what at at one point was a, a pie-in-the-sky dream for the Toronto Blue Jays, which was signing Shohei Otani. So according to your reporting, uh, you had the Jays and Dodgers as the co-favorites. I'm curious if in the last 48 hours you've seen or felt that tilt in any direction.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think comes to those two know, between the Dodgers and Blue Jays. I think the Dodgers are have a... So, anybody else is realistically in the thing. I, mean, I think those two teams. Uh, so, we'll sorry, it. Bob. Could you repeat and that? You Dodgers cut out either, there. Both. Oh, I think it's just between those two teams now, with the uh, Dodgers and Blue I don't see him uh, going anywhere else. Uh, yeah, I think I think he's getting closer to the decision. But, you know, when the, even the Yankees are, uh, I mean, even the Dodgers, he says, say, are asking Joe Kelly to give up his number when they don't even have Otani yet. Yeah, it shows that something's going on.
0: Do you really feel like the Robertson stuff could have actually hurt the Dodgers? Like, is there a realistic world where that actually impacted somebody?
2: No, not at all. I don't. I really don't see that at all. Uh, I think just, you know, people saying that, uh, that's the one thing that would be leaked out. But the bottom line is, uh, everybody, you know, everybody knew that he was uh, going to be in L.A. At, at some point, just like he was in Tampa to see the uh, Blue Jays, or in to see the Blue Jays. And... Uh, I uh, so he said the Angels, or he the Giants. So why, yeah, why lie about it?
0: Do you think that the Angels are still in it?
2: I do, but barely. Uh, I mean, in my mind, if it was going back to the Angels, it would have happened uh, uh, already. Uh, yeah, I think they're in it, but I think just kind of uh, hanging the we is more uh, uh, hopeful than it is about it actually really happening.
0: So there was two things I I felt like we learned because it's been so hyper secret with everything. But one was, again, you're reporting that the Cubs were out uh, or at least look like they're out after balking at a deal that could have been like around 10 years, 500 million. Um, At least that gives us like a kind of a shape of the deal, right? The question is, do you think that any of this could come down to one of the Dodgers or the Blue Jays deciding to go, you know what, we'll even add more money to the pile? Like is, is money even a question at this point?
2: think it is that much. I mean, I think, you know, whenever the uh, Dodgers offer or the Blue Jays offer, uh, I think it would be relatively the same. I really, don't, I really don't believe it's about the money with this kid. Uh, I don't. I mean, it just if he was really about the money, he would have waited in Japan and, uh, you know, waited for a couple hundred million dollars instead of coming over right away. Mm-hmm. So I, I think all the money would be the same. It's all going to be relative. I think now it's just a, a comfort level and everything else.
0: Well, and then the other part, though, is the thing that Robertson actually did reveal is that the expectation that Shohei Otani pitches again, right? Which makes sense because this is a guy who's in command of everything. And, of course, he's not going to want to give up on his pitching career. But, yeah, I guess the in, are we all basically assuming that a year from now, Shohei Otani, the price that you're paying him or the player that you're paying and expecting is a pitcher as well? Well, I'm going to be
2: in this contract to push it up maybe over $600 million. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on uh, you know, whether he pitches and how long, I think it's very unrealistic to think that he's going to be ready open Day 2025. The reason I say that is uh, he had Tommy John surgery, uh, his first one, uh, that was five years ago, and he missed almost two years. Mm-hmm. You know, now he's five years older, and he's the ancient too. It's not like he can go through a full rehab because you're playing on the as a DH. So I would think, you know, maybe late in 2025 or, or the All Star break. I just can't see him being ready over
0: there. So the last one here is, uh, if the Dave Roberts saying the Jays are sorry that they met with the team doesn't actually hurt the Dodgers and they are able to sign show Otani. The, the blue Jays have to pivot to a market now that, um, no longer includes Juan Soto. Now, a name that they heard a lot or that we had heard a lot was Candelario. He's now off the market, which was, I was informed of that this morning. Um, do you have any idea of where the Blue Jays pivot to next if the Shohei Ohtani signing doesn't materialize?
2: Well, you certainly have, uh, you know, probably Bellinger makes the most sense. You know, I mean, they, uh, I don't think that many teams are in on uh, him. You know, the Cubs, uh, or maybe uh, San Francisco Giants for sure. And uh, I, I would think the Blue Jays, if, if they don't get Ohtani.
0: Hey, uh, Bob, we really appreciate the time today. Thanks for coming on, man. Take, Take care. care. Uh, Bob Nightingale, USA Today columnist and MLB Insider. So, shifting to Cody Bellinger, like that that would reek of the ultimate desperation for the Toronto Blue Jays, right? Like, I, I've said this all along. I like Bellinger. I think that he had a, one of those outlier seasons. You know, when we were just talking to Myrtle about, hey, you know, you pay Johnny Goudreau, you pay... Jonathan Huberto, a huge contract. It's like, are those guys still good players? Yeah. Does anybody think that the value is worth it? Absolutely, unequivocally not. Like, boy, Cody Bellinger on a massive contract is is gonna. This is what I was saying about like the pressure of the the next step just feels awful. Like you'd be thrilled if the Jays signed a Cody Bellinger. You should be thrilled. I, I, I'd rather that they forked over this kind of money for a free agent, for a, an outfielder, for a power left hitter, for someone with real playoff type of experience. Awesome. And yet it's not going to feel that way. And so to me, like, let me just, if I was ownership and you came to me and we struck out on Shohei Otani and you were like, hey, we can get on the Cody Bellinger sweepstakes, I would be saying absolutely not. I'd be like, I'm not spending my money on that. Like, I, I'm not going up to that level of price For a guy that people at at the ballpark are just going to see as the not Shohei (laughs) Otani, Like like that's his marketing is, oh, you mean the guy that isn't Shohei? Like, no, I'm just, I'm not. I'm not getting involved in that kind of uh, a free agent sweepstakes. My understanding of this was that like the Jays have this money for one guy and it's for Shohei Otani. And we're talking about, like, yeah, potentially $600 million, right? If, he's, if the assumption is that he's pitching a year from now, my guess is is that Shohei is not sacrificing majorly on his price point. He's looking at it and saying, like, you're getting, you're, you're, you're getting a deal on Shohei, all right? You're getting a deal. You might not have even been in on this had I not hurt my arm. That I'm, again, not even disclosing. I, also, I should ask that, actually. It's like, does anybody know if, what he's even disclosing to these teams and these doctors, if they're able to even figure this out? But just, I'm not, I don't care that the Blue Jays missed out on Heimer Candelario. Like, I'm not. I'm not pissed off that they missed out on Juan Soto, given the trade package. Had the Soto trade package been, like, a a handful of prospects or something, it would have been super weird uh, that the Padres would have jumped the market. But, like, yeah, it's pretty clear the only reason that San Diego did this deal when they did it is because nobody could have topped it. The Yankees were desperate. They said, this is the only move we have and they pushed and they went all in on it. And again, that's why they're the New York Yankees is they they get this thing done. So some people will bitch and moan about the Jays not getting Soto if they don't end up getting Shohei. But I, I just, I, I can't, I can't have half a brain and then be one of them. I, can't, I cannot look at this and say, oh yeah, no, this was a major screw up by the organization. They should have just pushed in. They should have given up Manoa and Tiedemann and Aralvis and tried to top the trade package. Like, what are we talking about here? For someone that you would have had to, be negotiating with next year against all the other teams that you'd be right back in this position where it would be all the pressure, but for a lesser player and with all those assets up the door, like I just don't, I, I don't like that. This feels like for the Yankees, very much like the Knicks trade for Carmelo, where they would have been in on him the next year, but they knew like, whatever, screw it. We just want to get him in the building. So we'll overpay. We'll overpay and we'll hurt some of the team's prospects in the future. But at least we're getting the guy like we're getting our, our 30 point a game score. We're getting Juan Soto. So. It's just the same thing, unless it's some incredible amount of creativity. I think that the only way that that the only path forward for the Blue Jays, they miss out on Shohei is going to be a bunch of smaller moves, you know, trading for a name or two that people recognize that people can genuinely believe that the offense is going to get better. But the pivot to, we're in on the Bellinger sweepstakes. I don't think that makes sense. The pivot to, well, we're re-signing Matt Chapman and trying to add a depth bat. I don't think that that makes any sense. They are just in an impossibly difficult position if Shohei doesn't sign. And baseball's got to be a little pissed and even, I would say, I'm... A, the, all the baseball writers that cried about the, the timeline of this thing, I don't really care. I just Shohei, all I care about is that you sign in Toronto. That's genuinely it for me. You want to do it at any time, that's great. But this really does feel, I'm pretty sure if we want to continue the Kawhi parallel that now everyone's doing is he just reeks of a Friday night at 10 PM news dump guy. Doesn't, isn't that like everybody's trying to predict when this thing's going to happen. Hey, is it going to be soon? If you're the blue Jays, now that names are starting to come off the board, now that other teams that are not involved in this are starting to do their business. Now that Soto is gone, free agents are happening. You know, like a couple of bullpen arms went yesterday. Teams are starting to say, all right, we want to get on with our business.
3: It's kind of unfair to ask this of you, but Morosi uh-huh. reported that he'll make a decision by the end of the weekend. So you're calling Friday night. Friday night news bomb? Yeah,
0: Friday, Saturday night, something like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, like, this dude obviously does not care or wants to play ball with Major League Baseball in some way. This is not LeBron's decision where he wants all the attention on him and to unveil his next destination. This isn't a college uh, football or a college team selection video. This guy... This guy feels like he has enough attention and that the... whatever the future is for him, he wants to be able to control all of the narratives and discussions. And like, he, he doesn't, I don't think he gives one crap about, and I think it's way too much to put it on these players, by the way. Like I I do think that collectively athletes should care about the way leagues are sold and that there should be a sustainability to these leagues. And that, you know, you should be showing personality and should be engaging and understanding that the business is predicated on fan interest and the more of that that there is, the better the health of a league. I don't think that every player is going to be built that way. Like, I don't think Kawhi, even though he was in those midseason tournament commercials, and I've seen him more on television lately, I'm like, what's Kawhi doing? He's, he's, he's like getting involved now. Uh, I don't think that every player is going to be that way, so I don't think it's fair to hold every single guy to that expectation. But yeah, I, I certainly don't think that Shohei views, hey, I need to be a part of a media circus to be a steward of the game. I feel like his view is probably more, Hey, I think I'm good enough for growing the game as a guy who hits and pitches and takes this thing extremely seriously and is completely dedicated to my craft to the point where the raw, the blue Jays having the best training facilities. is like a major, major, major asset for this player. So yeah, I, I think it's kind of silly to say, oh, yeah, well, I think it's going to be this day. Like, you know, trying to play it like it's a Super Bowl squares. The only thing is, is at this point, what else does he need to know? Like, if he's met with all the teams, if realistically, there's only three teams that are willing to pay him. Because, like, if if Nightingale's reporting is accurate that the Cubs are out and that they were like, we're not doing 500 mil 10 years, Right then that means there are three teams that are willing to do that or maybe four with the Giants. Because, yeah, the Giants have always kind of been around this. But it really feels right now like the Jays and Dodgers are front runners. The Angels, I, I think Bob's logic is very, very sound that if he was going to go back to the Angels, why wouldn't that have already been done? And, and why would they feel so out of the mix for so long? And also, like, if you're Shohei, I, I just don't understand the incentive to go back to the Angels given that they just they can't win. They don't win with you and Mike Trout. Like, what what is going to change there? You've already... You've already pushed all your chips into the middle. Like they even made trades last year before the deadline when they were out of it to try to bolster the roster going, we know we need to win. It's like, what is the next move for that team? I, I don't, I don't see it. I, I don't, I don't understand what it could be and what the angels do. That's going to sell Shohei Otani that they could win and that they're going to somehow compete and be the Dodgers of the American League West. Like, Sorry. Also, don't you want to get out of the American League West with, like, yeah, Houston and the Rangers and I, like, the fact that at one point he absolutely looked at the Rangers with some level of seriousness, wouldn't that help him identify when he's watching these games and he's observing the Rangers, like, how far away the Angels are? So, I just, like, none of us know Shohei, all of us are doing the guessing, but everyone does know how much this guy cares about winning and how much this guy wants to be around a really competent organization. And I just don't think that the angels are that from a baseball perspective. Like he's been there, he's done that. If the financials aren't the incentive, unless they're offering him like ownership of the organization, I just don't understand what their sales pitch is. Like Toronto's sales pitch is very clear. And so is the Dodgers. And I guess to a lesser extent, the giants and it's going to be, I think if, if it would feel worse if he signed with the Giants than if he signed with the Dodgers. And I think yes. I think the answer oh, is 100% so yes. Yeah. Like if all of a sudden the Giants came out of nowhere and they signed him, I would be like, what the hell? You didn't even go to the Dodgers? We couldn't even beat the Giants? That sucks. But yeah, the the idea is that the Blue Jays have put in a completely different attention to detail to every little microcosm in which the team can improve. And it's funny because like a lot of that stuff's been criticized, right? Like the sports science department and the facilities before this year and like we looked at a lot of the Rogers Centre renovations as hey it's a it's seats that point towards home plate and it's the king street bar and the outfield and in reality the the bigger thing the bigger story from the actual baseball standpoint was probably just like yeah the clubhouse being big and having more available to the players when it comes to weight rooms and facilities all of that different stuff so i think that for shohei it's just hey this is the organization that is going to give you every single resource, that is going to have a massive payroll, that is going to be able to shelter you, that is going to be in a different country, um, and, yeah, is going to pay you all the money, and that has been winning, you know, 90 games the last bunch of seasons, is getting into the playoffs, and hasn't gotten over the hump, but that you would be that player that changes things. Um, But, yeah, when it comes to timelines, I, I don't think that... None of it matters if he signs here. Again, absolutely none of it matters if he signs here. But whew, it just, it, it's, it's just a fact that it gets riskier the day, as the day goes on now. Like, the idea that no one was going to do anything or no one was going to move before Shohei, like, we now know that that isn't the case. Like, Soto is off the table. That does change the math. That changes the math on what you can do. And they were obviously in on it. Like, everyone reported that they were interested in Soto, that they did view that as a viable backup plan. And in terms of fan excitement, that was the... That was really the only other guy that anyone is aware of that's really going to, would have that sort of impact where you bring in just an unbelievable power lefty bat that gets on base at an incredible percentage. So yeah, the pivot is going to be a really, really tough one. Really, really, really tough one. But again, how can you really fault them? How can you really fault them for waiting on Shohei Otani? When you have the, again, who would be the biggest free agent signing in Canadian sports history? How could you, how could you be upset that they were trying to, do everything they could to make that work. Like, would you like, what's the other position? All I would say to somebody is what was the other position you wanted them to take? Like go, when the Padres said the Yankees are offering us this, that you move all in on the prospects just immediately and hedge your bet. Like, no, it's, and and then you know that he's a rental. If Shohei signs here, because you're not going to have that money for those two players. Like, The Jays did go on record with something like, hey, it would be very challenging or very difficult to have two players in that price point moving forward. And it's like, yeah, of course. We were worried if the Blue Jays could afford to sign Vlad and Bo. (laughs) You think they're signing Shohei and Soto? I don't like... It's only so much that you can ask for. But yeah, now that other targets... If the other targets start to come off the board, if there are realistic names that this organization actually covets, it's just, it's going to make it harder and harder and harder for them to do their jobs. And the pressure is only going to be amplified. And I feel like, you know, the, the job security of these two is not sealed. Uh, They don't get show. Hey, like next year is an all in year for everybody. And so does that pressure materialize in some kind of other change that you don't end up liking as a fan? Does that end up in another Gabriel Moreno trade where you look at it and say, wait, Did you guys really want to do this? Or did you feel like you needed to do this? And that's the worst move that a front office can make. Anyway, um, let's take a quick break. Let's come back and talk to uh, Bobby Ryan about the sense they just hired uh, Jacques Martin. A throwback for everybody that's playing tonight. Uh, But before we do that, Def Leppard and Journey are coming to the Rogers Center on August 2nd next year. And we are giving away tickets to enter uh, for your chance to win. Text in today's code word, ANIMAL. To five ninety five ninety Again, that's Animal to five ninety five ninety. 590. If you don't win with us, tickets will be officially going on sale December 15th. So a week from now uh, at 10 a.m. at Ticketmaster.ca. So Def Leppard, code word time. Get it in. Uh, quick break. Bobby Ryan next. All right. Battle of Ontario tonight. I know that we're all just watching the show. Hey, sweepstakes. It's like, how am I going to watch the game when I'm just refreshing my Twitter feed all night? Anyway, Leafs talk after, so subscribe and review. And i uh, the very excited for our next guest of the Coming In Hot podcast, former NHLer Bobby Ryan. What's up, brother?
3: Hey, I'm doing good, man. How you doing?
0: I'm doing all right. Uh, could your team play some games? Like, I'm looking at the standings. I was like, oh, man, stands are at the bottom again. It's just like, yeah, because you played five times.
3: Yeah, it's amazing how... Uh... But you know what it's like, <clears throat> excuse me, you go overseas and it kind of throws you off a little bit. Sure. And, you know, now they're going to pay for it through December and January a little bit, but um, yeah, they've, they're they well rested, that's for sure. Yeah, they better be. I was going to say,
0: you better have some jump tonight. Like they've won a couple of games in a row, but yeah, tonight, this, this one got to be a little bit of a measuring stick, right? Like the team putting some wins together, Uh, There's some momentum I would hope after a big win against the Rangers where uh, Tarasenko scores a couple and Kachuk scores a couple, but yeah, like do you think there's an added benefit to this or like an added something to it with it being the, the Leafs and and where Ottawa started the year?
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. I, as a former player in that, in that, you know, because of battle of Ontario, obviously as a former player in that, those games always held a little extra weight and, Mm -hmm. uh, they got some guys that are feeling it a little bit more you know obviously Tarasenko had gone 12 games or something like that without a goal um so he gets off the you know gets the monkey off his back you hope it's a springboard for him some other guys played some much better hockey in the last two games um that they were kind of waiting on so you hope that the, the the last two and they haven't won three games in a row very often I think they've only done it once this year so it's it, it, it's time right they've Mm-hmm. It feels like they're behind the eight ball because we're talking about them every day, but the fact of the matter is they've played so many less games. So these are those games in hand, divisional points that you need to find uh, a way to get two points and to make up some ground here.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's always nice to have the game in hand until they turn into losses. And then you're like, wait,
3: was... yeah, wait, <laughs> yeah, these... exactly. Until you go on that Western trip and you're like, oh no, those weren't games in hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, they're just L's.
0: That sucks. I liked it more when yeah. there was hope and optimism. Um, okay, yeah, because when you came to the Sens, the, the, like, leadership core was, what, Carlson Spetzer right? Like, that's when you first arrived? It was, like, those two were the yeah, big Chris vets in Yeah,
3: Phillips and Neil as well. They were yeah. on their last couple of years. So, yeah, they they had a pretty much uh, – they had a group pretty much instilled there, yeah.
0: Yeah, because I was going to say, how does that – like, what does that look like when you first start playing in these games, like the the Toronto-Ottawa games? Because at that point, you know, the it's not the same, right? We're not talking about – um, pre lockout leaf sends that had all the, you know, playoff memories of this. But yeah, at that time, like I'm still, I think I was living in Ottawa. No, I just left Ottawa when you first got there, but yeah, you'd still go to those games and there was a lot of juice in the building. Obviously leaf fans pour in, but from a player standpoint, from someone who like, yeah, ends up coming over from Anaheim, like, yeah. What is it like when you first start to get to be a part of this rivalry?
3: Well, it feels much more historic, right? Um, I think anybody that give or take my age by a few years grew up on some of those series that Ottawa and Boston, yeah. or, well, Ottawa and the Toronto played. So you like I had, it's weird. You have to develop a hatred when you come from out West, right? Yeah. You have to get, you have to get into some of those games to understand the, the, I guess the gravity of it. Um, and I think you have to play on the road in that series to really understand it. So it took me, it took me a little bit to, to get it. I had come from Anaheim where we had the LA series, right. And that was, um, you know, arguably for me, the Anaheim LA series back in the times when it was Kopitar versus Getzlaff and whatever the players were around, it was arguably a, one of the best in hockey. It just never got talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there doesn't seem to be as much hatred between those two teams as there was between Toronto and Ottawa and, um, yeah, I, I had to rely on those guys a little bit early on to understand the magnitude of it. It just felt different going to the rink. It felt different when you were skating, warming up, looking down at the blue jersey. It um, it, it takes a minute, but um, then again, it doesn't take very long. At the same time, so mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a hell of a series, and those guys that guys that have been through it, you certainly rely on them um, not to let your emotions get the best of you early in those games.
0: Yeah, Mathod is now the face of hating the Leafs from Sten's, Sten's standpoint now, right? Like it's like it's very clear he loves to troll the the fan base. He likes to take his shots. Yeah. I love it. I think it's hilarious. Uh, it's just fearless. You just
3: like to sit there with popcorn and tweet yeah.
0: away. No, that's what I mean. Is I I like I think he's he's loves every reply. Like when Leaf fans get so mad, uh, I go, "This is exactly what he's wanting you to do." Uh, but do you remember yeah. when you first started as a part of that? Like who hated the Leafs the most? I I feel like it probably would have been Chris Neal. Like, I forgot that he was still there when, when you arrived, but yeah, do you remember who was like the number one? Yo, I want this win guy on that team.
3: Oh, it it was uh, unquestionably and undoubtedly Chris Neal. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't even even, uh, necessarily close. He just, yeah, he had a hatred. And I think when you play that role, Mm -hmm. um, and, and he played that role very well for a long period of time. I think that um, some of that gets ingrained in you for one team more than another. And it was unquestionably Toronto for him. It was like he was putting the foil on every night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just way to see what he did. And, and let's be honest, the game's changed a lot. It doesn't yeah. look like it used to. Um, now now there's so much more skill on both teams and involved. But um, sure. sometimes it, you know, it becomes more of a high-scoring game with teams trading chances. And that's just as equally entertaining. But um yeah, they yeah, gone are the Chris Neal days of of that series, really.
0: I gotta tell you though, that actually as someone who sports hated Chris Neal like very deeply, it makes me happy to know that he hated the Leafs that much. Like I think I could if I could point to like ten times in my life where I've just been super pissed off at an athlete and hated an athlete chris neal chasing ty domi like when ty domi was really old around trying to get him to fight and knowing that he could win that fight was as just (laughs) that was devastating times i would have if they were like we've arrested chris neal we've put him in prison for the rest of his life i would have been like justified that is correct that is the right (laughs) thing to do thank you to the the justice of this this country for making sure that this happened
3: well you know what uh Take it for what it is, but the Neil Dog hated every team. Yeah, <laughs> he, he did not discriminate the <laughs> way the way that, yeah. the way that he, he approached the game. I absolutely loved the way he approached the game, and he was just he was just fire all the time.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Well, you know that's why. Here's the thing: I think Leaf fans definitely want the sense to be good. There was a time where. I think in any kind of rivalry, you want to see the downfall of an organization, right? You want to see championship uh, opportunities elude an organization. But then it gets to a point where you're like, no, no, no. You want to have the rivalry back. And it does feel like this hasn't had a lot of juice for quite some time. And the Sens at least, you know, have uh, like their best player is a dude who plays with a lot of grit, who is a pretty nasty guy that is not afraid to mix it up in front of the net. So you were kind of hoping, all right, maybe this will bring something out of the Leafs. But yeah, I, I'm really hopeful that at least like these games in hand and where Ottawa's at, that this is going to start to be the thing that we've been sort of promised over the last couple of years where the Sens haven't lived up to expectation and that after the last game that these two teams played where, yeah, Giroux basically embarrassed the Maple Leafs, that now yeah. there, there really does feel like there's a little bit more stakes.
3: I think so. I think when the teams were so lopsided, and I was there for some of it, um, there was just a, there was a major gap, if you will, between the skill levels, right? Yeah. You had Matthews, me and Andrew Marner. Those guys were coming up. Um, and not not to say they weren't established, but they were still building on to what they were going to become as players. Um, so for the evolution of that, there was obviously a divide between where they were and the Sens were. And now that the Sens have kind of, let their players mature um i don't want to know i i I don't want to put expectations on whether or not they can keep up from a skill standpoint but you put put a player like timmy stutzler and um Mm -hmm. you know arguably the best player on the ice some nights uh it just it just adds to that element it adds to the skill versus skill element which we were missing we had to go in and we knew that we had to run them out of the building physically because we couldn't keep up and match them by trading chances it was just the way that the game was designed now that now, you've got a guy like Brady Kachuk who can drag a team into a fight physically, but can also give you a pretty good amount of, uh, of skill down low. Timmy can command the ice. Um, they, the matchup's certainly much more intrigue, intriguing Excuse me. now um, when you look at the two teams on paper from a skill standpoint. So, it, it, Ottawa's taken some strides, they've also taken some step backs. In some areas, but they're they're really coming along, and I think the series is just been, like you know you imagine two years from now if all the players stay put pre- and you're all in your primes and mm-hmm. and um, where where it could go, it's it's certainly intriguing. That's kind of it though
0: for me with the Sens, and that's what sucked about them having another disappointing and slow start under D J Smith is I'm like. Hey, you're there in the timeline, and so yeah, with all these games in hand, going over 500, and I think they're like five or six games behind most of the other teams in the division. It's like put together some wins and prove that like you're actually taking the step because like Detroit did it this year, the Sabers failed to yeah. do it. They were sort of the hype team, but I just I don't know what it looks like for the Sens if it's another season like this where you're kind of saying, well, you have you know Sanderson now, right? Like, and I know Shabat's hurt, yeah. but it's like the D feels like it's more filled out. You made the chicken move. You've got a forward group that's supposed to inspire some kind of confidence that this is supposed to be at least close to a contender. I know Forsberg's been great in net during this last little stretch. Like, it just, this does feel like put up or shut up time for the Sens beyond just, you know, are they going to fire DJ Smith in the offseason?
3: Yeah, it is. It's it's time. They, they've had some time to regroup here after that trip, and then I... I, I... It feels like some guys took a look in the mirror and said, I got to be better, and they mm-hmm. have been. Um, and I'm talking about the Tarasenko's and the Battersons, guys that um, yeah. you know have drawn, drawn some of the focus. The Shabbat injury kills him. And, I, and for whatever reason, he's been the whipping boy on the back end for a little bit. But he gives you 22 minutes a night, and they're usually 22 pretty damn good minutes. Um, mm-hmm. Sure, he's going to make a mistake, but he's, but he's played so much hockey over the last six years while waiting for help that there's going to be a little bit of a regression until he settled into the new role where he doesn't have to play 27 minutes. He can play 20 and call it a night. So all that being said, yes, this is, this is an important month. They obviously have Detroit. They have the coming up as well. And then they go on that trip um, where you're going into some pretty tough building against some teams that are, are legit contenders. So it's a measuring stick month up until Christmas. They're going to get a feel for who the guys in the fight really are. And um I, I, I just think they you know, where they are, we're, we're looking at the point total and not the amount of games played. They they've got some ground to make up, obviously, but they have the runway to do it with the games in hand and now it's time for them to to take that step.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of us want to see that step and I certainly want to see a game tonight that's like I know you're not going to get the Panthers sends 2.0 from the Leafs. Like they don't have a math you could check on the Leafs, but I want a little bit of that feeling, you know, like I, I want a little bit of that nastiness and feeling like, you know, if this game does get out of hand one way on the score sheet or another, that yeah, it does start to get chippy. It does start to get out of hand that these two teams do prove that they hate each other. So, um, I yep. imagine like, so there's there's bad numbers for DJ Smith, right? To start these seasons. It's just like year over year over year. I had Mendez on during before the last game and he had pointed out in a column of just like how bad it, these starts have been for the Sens and they did it again this year. They've kind of, you know, turned a bit of a corner. And so the timing of the Jacques Martin edition, I guess is a little strange. But yeah, Steos has been on record saying they want stability in the organization. They're not really looking to make a change. It does look like they want to keep DJ Smith, like that they don't want to make this, but like... What what's your read on this? Because anytime you bring the winningest coach in franchise history to the bench, and especially when it's with a a coach that doesn't exactly have you know a long runway, you got to feel like yeah, all right, it can help you, but this is also like let's just say that. What's your read on it?
3: So it's it's a tough, it's a tough read. We just spoke about it on our podcast, and and I think the general consensus for us was that. This team has not been solid defensively. That that is their biggest downfall from, you know, from the red line South. They just don't make the right reads a lot. And I don't think it's coaching. And I, I take DJ's record to start the season with a grain of salt, because I'd I'd like people to take out his first five years Um, because the first five years he wasn't now he's coaching, but for five years he was teaching, right? Mm -hmm. You had to get these young guys. He's a very, very good teacher. I, I obviously played for him for a year. Um, I like the way that he ran things. He's vocal. The head coach's main job is to motivate, and he certainly does that. I do think that the addition of a Jacques Martin is not a replacement addition. I mm-hmm. think it's another set of eyes, and arguably a great, great defensive set of eyes where this team has lapses. He can come down from, I don't know if he's going to be bench or press box. I don't know what the logistics will look like, but he's somebody that can come in and say, look, guys, we're giving up 10, 10 12 grade A chances a game. Mm-hmm. We need to cut that to five and here's how we do it. And I think that DJ is open. I think that Capuano is open. I think that Davis Payne's open because they don't want their seats to be hot. And mm-hmm. I don't think this addition of Jacques Martin necessarily makes any of the seats hot. Um, but it does give them some relief that somebody that's been there, that's won, that's been a Jack Adams winner, that's stressed defensive pressure and mm-hmm. defensive zone structure in his entire career is now in there to to give them another set of eyes. I think it's a, it, it's just a positive hiring. And I I I, I do believe Stalus and Ann Lauer when they say you don't want a band-aid situation with a coach. You don't want a guy to come in, coach for 40 games and then you hire the long term coach. That's not mm-hmm. what this organization needs. Um, I've been a part of that and it's never it's never a good thing. It's too late to implement big major changes now but you can do subtle different things to make this team better in the defensive zone. And that's what Jacques is going to bring.
0: Well, I was going to say Jacques Martin, I think is, he's gotta, he's gotta be in his seventies. Like he's, seventy-one. okay. So he's 71 years old. That would be the only real comfort I would feel if I was DJ is I doubt this guy at 71 is going to be taking over my bench or that he even wants to be taking over my bench. Like, yeah, but I will say the book on Jacques Martin was always, this is a very detail oriented guy like extremely meticulous with the details and heavy on. Yeah. Like you mentioned, like a big time defensive coach. And I just wonder how that is going to affect things when you're trying to get a guy like that into the flow. And when that starts to rub up against your coach, if you, as a player are starting to try to, you know, listen to two different voices in the room.
3: Yeah. uh, And there's no timeline on you know, what it looks like to see some of his changes implemented and whether he's making them or not. And this is the other thing is, you know, we, we obviously talked about it. Did they hire the replacement coach? And it's like, well, nobody's asked jock. He's 71 years old. Does yeah. he want to take over a team at this point in his life? Yeah. It, um, we can speculate all we want, but we don't know the inner workings of what he, he's thinking. I just think that he's going to be able to come down from the press box. If that's where he's going to be and say, DJ, we're, we're north of the puck all night and we can't be. And that's a simple, subtle thing for DJ to take to his room and say, guys, we're cheating. Mm-hmm. Whether you know it or not, you're cheating. You're, and it's just they've got a lot of forwards that go straight north, and not enough to come south. Um, and and when they do, they over back check and, and you know pull things apart. So I think knowing not sorry, um, knowing the way that Jock is and his detail, he's probably already watched a ton of video and already gone into DJ and said, look, this is where we're missing, and this is what needs to change. And it's up to DJ to take what Jock says and implement it, or discard it that's that's the head coach's um decision making right but i i do think that dj's probably seen enough defensive zone lapses for him to say i'm going to listen to everything this person tells me and and see where we can get better
0: Mm -hmm. so this one's probably a little far away and it probably doesn't even really make too much sense to be talking about right now but i referenced (laughs) it earlier when i was like i I had uh, my buddy james myrtle on and we were talking about hey trying to take that swing for a, a defenseman that can play in your top four and who's under contract rather than, you know, paying for a rental at the deadline. And like, yeah, it'd be probably too early to be extending Chikrin anyway, but do you have any feel as to there's real potential to a, DeBrinket spot with Chikrin where they trade for a player and they don't feel really confident that they can get an extension done? Or like if the sends do stay down here, right? Like if, if they're not able to turn those games in hand into wins, whether this becomes a guy that they view as a long-term piece of the future or somebody that they could end up shopping as early as this year?
3: So, uh, again, um, far-fetched, but not, not necessarily. I do, believe, I do believe he likes it in Ottawa. I think he likes the group of guys. I, mm-hmm. I, I do think he, he looks at the roster and says, this is a team that's going to contend. Um, and I think that he would really like to be part of the long-term future. That's that's my indication. That's what I, I get when I watch him and see him. Um, he's assimilated very well into the locker room from what I understand. So there's no real right answer to your question. I mm-hmm. I do believe the only problem you have is that you have three players that are very, very much alike um, mm-hmm. in Sanders and Shabbat and him. And who is the answer? And does one of them have to go to make room for – just from a salary standpoint, does one of them have to go to make room for something um, that can help us in the five position on defense, as well as the four for half the price. You just, the logistics of it, the cap's going to go up, so there's going to be more room. But my indication and in my thought process is that, um, they'll, and he's got a couple of years left, I believe, but they're, they're yeah, going to try to lock him this. up. And, yeah. So the, I, I do believe that they'll try to lock him up into something long-term um to be part of this but then you have to build out your defense around three guys that are eerily similar and where do those minutes go um it, it makes it, it's a very intriguing conversation to have i would say six months from now
0: hey man uh enjoy the game tonight and good luck to your senators on getting it like what what's the goal you think 40 percent sense fans in the building at home like that's the hope 35 <laughs> no, um I would, I'm going to say 55. Oh, 55. Yes. Dude, that's yeah. a big yeah. swing. I've been to a lot of those games as a fan. I don't, I don't remember a lot of 55s, you know, like yeah. I, I, I remember a lot less than that. But anyways, bud, thanks for doing this hey, today. It was new, great.
1: New owner. I have
3: played some yeah. road games in, in, in Ottawa against the Leafs. It's not
0: fun. So. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They're
0: coming out. Uh, again, of the coming in hot podcast. So uh, yeah, if you like to send, you probably already know about it. But uh, yeah, Bobby Ryan, thanks for the time today, brother.
3: My pleasure.
0: Thanks for having me guys. Take care. Uh, yeah, that is personally, I think that's the most fun you can. So I'm a big believer in actually you go to a football game and you just say, I'm wearing the home uniform or I'm not wearing anything at all. Like, and and I've been to a bunch where I haven't had a rooting interest. I don't know how I'd feel about it. If I went to a Seahawks game on the road, like the only one that I've been to quote unquote on the road was here in Toronto. And that didn't really count. Uh, But a hockey game between the real rivalry teams, like the, the Sens and Leafs, like being a Leaf fan and you don't have much, okay? Let's be real here. I don't have a ton of extremely positive memories about the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's very, they're distant. They are far in the rear view. Like truly, it's like Matthew's goal off the boards against Washington, signing Tavares, Last year's finally winning a playoff series for the first time since I was in, like, junior high. Uh, Yeah. Not many things recently that I can cling... that I can hold to. But when you go to a Leafs game in Ottawa or you go to a Leafs game in Montreal and you have the numbers... I've never done a Leafs game in Florida. I don't really feel as though that's the... The same though, because it's like you're playing the pants. It almost feels like punching down. But yeah, go into a Leafs game against the Senators, and <laughs> for me, it was always low stakes though, where the Leafs sucked and there was really no expectation. The Sens were good, so it's like you have everything to win with a Leafs victory because th- those are your Super Bowls, and you have really nothing to lose because your team just sucks, other than like a really terrible uh, shuttle ride back into the city or a bus ride. Yeah, the good times. You never
3: went like early 2000s?
0: No, this was like late 2000s when I'd be going to a lot of the games. When I was in early 2000s, that's like when the rivalry was at its peak, but I was still in like junior high and high school before the lockout. Uh, I did live one year in the Ottawa Valley in high school, so I did get a good piece of that rivalry, but it was never that same way. Plus, like, we couldn't afford tickets. So I think we went to one preseason game at that point with, with Leafs and Sens. And my brother and I treated it like a regular season game sitting at the glass. Like, hell yes. But, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I care about this one tonight. I want to see the Sens. It's, it's funny. It's like you want to see them well. You want to see these games be good. And, uh, yeah, you, I think I was talking to my friend Sean about this when I had him on to talk about the Jets and how you know things are bad for a franchise when your rival starts to kind of root for you, when your enemies start to go, come on, just, like, get it together. And that's sort of how I feel about the Sens. And they've been better lately. And, yeah, they've strung... I think they're 6-4 and in their last 10. They've got a bunch of games in hand. There's pieces on their team now that, like, Sanderson, where you just go, damn, jealous of that. Kachuk, damn, jealous of that. Tarasenko scored a couple the other night. Uh, Yeah. You just... I wouldn't mind seeing the Sens be competent. Let's just put it that way. Like, I'd rather... I I like rooting for the downfall of an organization, not just like the continued downfall, right? Like it reaches a point where you go, no, 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 turn around. Like I never wanted to see the Sens win a cup. Like that year with Carlson, when they were making that run, it was terror, right? Do not win. Do not let them win a Stanley cup. The stakes of being the next Canadian team to win a Stanley cup are just, it's massive. It feels so, so, so big except for Winnipeg because they've already given up on their team and they're like, yeah, we don't even go to the games anymore. That was cool. We got them back. We're we're done with it now. Actually. It's like, we play at the weird time. We, we might actually be one of the the real contenders this year for the Canadian market. But do you yeah. feel
3: the same in Montreal? Like you want them to, you want the rise? You want here is the difference. Up?
0: I actually don't. I would be good with Montreal just <laughs> losing forever in perpetuity. Like at least, I, maybe it's just that I have roots with the Ottawa area that I, I want to see them better. And I, I don't know. I'm, I do have more nostalgia for that rivalry than with Sens or sorry with Leafs Habs. Like I don't have Leafs Habs memories outside of the one thing that I have completely blacked out of my mind that I don't want to think about ever. It's like there's not, there's not a lot there. Uh, so maybe it's just like more that was actually, you know how they say when you're 15 years old, that's the music that's going to shape the rest of your life? I feel like that's the way I have it with the, the hockey rivalry as well. Like I feel like that's the one I cared the most about hockey was Leafs Sens when I was 15 and those two teams were playing each other in, in the postseason. Uh, when yeah, Joe Newendike banged those two goals against Liam. I'm like, this is it. This is the the greatest feeling that I've had as a sports fan. That's like, honestly, I bet you the difference between that and golden goal are not that different for me. <laughs> like, really? Because I was a kid and I was in university with golden goals. The same thing. It's just like the the separators of those are yeah, not all that all that different. But yeah, uh, I hope the Habs lose every single game for the rest of time. Like, the only thing I wouldn't want is for them to fold. But everything else, lose. I hope they lose every game. I hate seeing them win. They're my most hated team out of all the teams. Like, I have the least amount of...
3: All four sports, we're talking. Major sports.
0: No, well, Oklahoma City Thunder are one. Mm. They're the number one team I wouldn't want to see win because they stole my Sonics. But then two is the... And it's just the worst because Shea plays... It's just like I escaped the KD... And then they were like, here's the greatest Canadian since Nash, and he might even be better than him. I'm like, damn it! Why does it have to be this way? Uh, I can't even just enjoy them. You know how easy it would have been? I would have been a Thunder fan in a heartbeat if they were just any other team. I would have completely bailed on the Raptors at this point. Like, goodbye. (laughs) Like, I I don't care. I'm not watching another game of whatever this season is. Uh, All right, leave five stars. Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram, at and I will see you tomorrow.